So the other day we were doing some spring cleaning and uh, our adult kids were helping us and we came across this big uh, tub full of Beanie Babies. Remember those, the Beanie Babies? Oh yeah. And years and years ago when the girls were little, they collected these and we were told by a bunch of people and they were told, collect these because they're gonna be worth a fortune someday. You'll be able to retire on these. It's gonna be amazing. They'll be worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Of course, when everyone collects them, then their value doesn't really climb. And so uh, years later, uh, many years later, we dig these out of the basement uh, and we, they're worth nothing. They're, they're just worth absolutely nothing. We, we tried giving them away to the neighborhood kids for a while. They wanted them pretty soon. They lost interest and we ended up just donating everything to Goodwill. Now we didn't really believe that we were going to get rich on this. That wasn't the point of it, but it was kind of a fun thing that we heard and kind of a joke, a uh, family joke. But, um, but sometimes we do place values in, in things that really don't deliver to us what we think they will. And we, we want to feel important, we want to feel valuable, we want to be successful, but sometimes we place our hope in things that, that ultimately uh, deliver that promise to us. And today we're going to return to the book of Revelation uh, to talk a little bit about living as a VIP. And by VIP I mean very important person. And that's because in God's eyes, you are a very important person. He cares about you. He cares what happens to you. He cares about uh, the outcomes of your life. He, he cares about uh, bringing blessing to your life, bringing goodness to your life, bringing his holiness to your life. And so we're going to walk through this passage together. I think from our childhood, uh, it is a dream that we want to feel important, to matter to somebody. And in a sense, we want a sense that we matter that we are cared for and treasured and loved as very important people. And we pursue common pathways of kind of becoming VIPs in different ways, depending on how we're wired and our experiences in life. Some uh, seek to become VIPs through uh, accomplishments, achievements. They are achievers and they feel important when they achieve. Others seek it through relationships and and uh, having friendships or, or deep uh, uh, relationships with others. Others pursue it through acquisitions, through beauty or wealth or possessions, by being popular, having lots of friends, uh, enjoying pleasures, enjoyment, success, maybe joy or love or peace. Uh, there's a thousand different journeys we take, longing to feel important that our lives matter that we are very important people in this universe. And some of these journeys are good and some of them are not. But today I'd like to talk about some of these topics, some weighty topics, but the reason is that you are very important to God and your life and your faith and your choices and your direction matter a great deal to him. So if you can strap on your seatbelt, remember the book of Revelation promises in chapter one, verse three, blessed are those who hear this, blessed are those who read this, and blessed are those who follow the words of this prophecy. So there is a blessing here. Uh, like I said, some weighty topics we're going to talk about today. Hang with us, and I think that you're going to really, in the end, find God's goodness and blessing, and really learn to live as the very important person God created you to be, a son or daughter of the living God. All right? Um, in the message to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, we get a glimpse of the rugged adventure 
that these churches were on and they embarked upon. Here's a map of the seven churches. You remember uh, over here is Italy, then Greece, then modern day Turkey. Paul, uh, John, the apostle John is exiled on Patmos, banished for being a follower of Jesus and a proclaimer of the gospel. But he writes, uh, he receives a vision from the risen Jesus Christ and then conveys this vision to seven historical churches in what was known then as the province of Asia or modern day Turkey. We began at Ephesus, then we get to Smyrna, last weekend was Pergamum, and today we come to the church at Thyatira. So I wanna tell you a little bit about that. Verse, chapter two, verse 18, write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Now a little bit about Thyatira. Of all the seven churches, this was the least important. It was not an important city. It wasn't a big political center. It wasn't a big religious center. It was just kind of an ordinary, everyday kind of place where people lived. And, uh, and if you go to Thyatira today, there's not much there from those days 2,000 years ago there to look at. Here's the archeological digs, uh, very minuscule compared with what we've seen in other places like Ephesus or Smyrna or Pergamum. And one would think this is a very unimportant place and unimportant people. But actually the longest letter of all the seven letters to the seven churches comes to the church at Thyatira. And it's the smallest of the seven cities. And there are lots of people there who from a societal perspective are not VIPs. They are VUPs, very unimportant people. The only thing that... Uh, Thyatira is really known for was manufacturing. They had lots of different crafts and, and guilds that, that, that represented these crafts of various kinds and wool and dyes and pottery and stone, all these different uh, bronze and different types of uh, manufacturing that they were involved with. And this brought some commerce to their area, so it had some economic prosperity. But everyone belonged to a different trade guild. Everybody who was employed belonged to one of these guilds. Uh, and every guild in ancient Thyatira was also attached to a patron god or goddess. So you were, you know, in the uh, woolworking trade, and so you would belong to this particular trade guild, and it would be uh, hosted by this uh, or dedicated to this uh, pagan god or goddess. And you were expected as a member of that trade guild to worship the god or the goddess, to devote yourself to that god or goddess. And also they would routinely have festivals, meals, celebration, feasts, all dedicated to honoring the god or the goddess who was the source of your success and your blessing in life and your security and your happiness. And usually, on most nights when the festivals and the feasts and the uh, events and meetings were held of the trade guild, which happened frequently, these festivals and meetings degenerated into a drunken party with carousing, lots of sexual immorality, hollow hookups, temple prostitutes, and then the occasional rowdiness and violence when things got out of hand. This was pretty much every night in Thyatira. It was a rough place to be a follower of Jesus. And everybody who had a job there in those trade guilds needed to belong to these trade guilds. Otherwise, um, you don't have a job. And here, place in your mind a small minority of Jesus followers in a very precarious, uncomfortable, and dangerous situation. Because if they did not participate in these trade guilds, they were viewed as disloyal to their city and to their 
uh, to their trade guild. They were viewed as traitors, like, why aren't you going along? They were viewed as impious, like you're not worshiping the gods and goddesses. They were called atheists because they didn't believe in them. They were looked as absolute weirdos. And it would usually, easily cost you your job if you didn't dive in, in a nanosecond. And that's what generally happened to those who didn't join in. So what's a brother or sister in Christ to do in Thyatira? The Nicolaitans, we met them earlier who had just worshiped other gods and goddesses and brought these thoughts and ideas into Christianity. And a particular woman we're gonna meet by the nickname of Jezebel, they had an answer of what Christians could do in that situation. But Jesus had a very different answer and a different solution about how to navigate in a possibly compromising culture and to live not as a very unimportant person, but as a very important person, integral in the kingdom of Jesus. So I wanna give you four principles today on how to live as a VIP in a difficult surrounding situation where compromise is possible on all sides. These four principles, guys, are life-changing. I hope you'll take them to heart. So let's look at them together. First one, thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. Here, I wanna give you this picture of Jesus, which is from chapter one, and two particular uh, images of Jesus are brought out of that vision. The first one is he has eyes like fiery flame. Uh, what that means is his eyes, he's, Jesus sees all things. He sees through it all. He sees through the unrealities. He th sees through the realities. He sees what's hidden. He sees everything. He knows who you really are. He sees what you could become. His eyes are penetrating, filled with holiness and love and purity and light and goodness. His eyes are like a fiery flame. They're penetrating. And then it says his feet are like fine bronze. Fine bronze to the craftsmen of Thyatira. They could appreciate this image. Solid, secure, strong, valuable. Really, this image is like armor that Jesus had on. And it was able, with these feet of fine bronze, is able to stand throughout the rise and fall of lesser kings and lesser kingdoms that would come and go. And Jesus alone in this image would stand the test of time and be valuable through all ages. So the first principle I wanna to give to you, if you're gonna live as a very important person for Jesus in the kingdom of God and make a difference in a, in a culture that calls you left and right to compromise, you're gonna to have to trust fully in Jesus who is more. What I mean by that is that Jesus is more than all the other kingdoms of this earth. He offers more to you than the enticements of, of people who would take you away from a heart for Jesus. You have to believe, this is the very first step, you have to believe that the God who came to earth, who died on the cross for your sins, who rose from the dead like no one else, who lives and reigns today, you have to believe in that Jesus who is truly, honestly, and totally more than anyone else. No one can compare to him. And until you come to that point where you truly trust in a Jesus who is fully and totally more than all the world has to offer, than that which anyone else has to offer, you're always going to have a struggle at li as living 
as the, the son or daughter that God called you to be. Because you're always going to wonder, is there something more out there? Is God holding out on me? Is he trying to be a killjoy? Is he not uh, wanting me to experience the fullness of happiness or joy or peace or blessing or salvation or forgiveness or whatever it might be? So the first step, and, and this is so critical, to know who Jesus is and fully enter into a relationship with him through faith, to trust fully in Jesus, especially when it's hard, and not to hear above all the other voices, the voice of Jesus with his eyes who sees who you really are and what you could become, and his feet are steady, strong, valuable, and will withstand all the other kings and kingdoms of this world. Live your life as one made in the image and likeness of Jesus. May live for one who has been made to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Live for Jesus who is more. Live as a very important person. Don't live for the trade guilds in your world. Don't live for the social media following. Don't live for the approval of people who you won't know in decades and eternity to come. Live for Jesus. He goes on though, verse 19, I know your works. He's talking about their good works, the things that they have done out of a heart for Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is generated into their life. Their faith has taken them new places. He says, I know your love. You love God. You really do. You're devoted to him. You have a heart of worship and you love your neighbors and you care about the people around you. You love your family. He says, I know your faithfulness. You're taking steps of obedience to become more and more like Jesus. You're walking faithfully with him. I know that about you. Good for you. He says, I know your service. The word service means ministry. It's using your gifts and abilities to help others, to build up the kingdom, to make a difference. He says, I know those. I see those. I appreciate those. Good for you. I know your works. Don't stop doing them. That's amazing. Way to go. This is how you live as a a VIP, knowing that Jesus values these things in your life. And he says, and I know your works of endurance. You've stuck with me. You faithfully endured when there was a lot of people pressuring you to go in different directions. And you faithfully endured and persevered when it was tough. Good for you. And then he says, I also know that your last works are greater than the first. Remember at Ephesus, he says, your first works were greater than the last. You've lost your first love. These folks were the opposite. They actually were increasing and growing in their works for Jesus out of a heart filled with love for him. So um, each of those are is incredibly important. And here's the principle. If we're going to really live as the very important people that God created us to be in his image, we're to excel in doing good works in this world. He says, I know that. I see that. Keep doing that. Keep going strong. Way to go. And just as a reminder to all of you, um, Valley Church, we, we, we say this all the time. To, to we, God has redeemed us to be a people for himself who are zealous, who are fired up, who are excited to do good works. We're not saved by good works. We're saved fully by the grace of Jesus through his cross and resurrection. But we are saved to do good works, to, for the, the purpose of seeing our life transformed, to impact others and to build his kingdom. And so just a reminder, coming up nine days, nine great days of loving our community. We've got Love You Did Moines Days. Please join in, get involved. 200 plus free activities. Do not let this pass by you. 
This is your moment to do what you know pleases Jesus, to excel in doing some good works in a short period of time and really love the neighbors around us. We want to, to, for Jesus to see us and for our neighbors to see us that they may see our good works and praise God who's in heaven, who's the source of those good works. And then sign up for the Good For All conference. It is coming up in just a few months. We've got some early bird pricing right now. Guys, this is a national level conference and you do not want to miss it at all. I, I cannot tell you how important it is and how thrilled you will be and how equipped you will be to excel in doing good works and to learn to live in a culture that is often at odds with what we believe, but learn to live there in a winsome, productive, and meaningful manner. Um, I want to just pause for a moment and, and say here, I want to pause and say here's an example of someone who lived a life excelling in doing good works in this world. Her name is Pearly Young, and here she is. She's from Buffalo, New York, and her life was brutally taken from her. Last week in Buffalo, New York, at that mass shooting at a grocery store. And I want to say this, guys. We denounce in the strongest possible way we can the hateful and cowardly act of unspeakable violence that was spurred by racism, a white supremacist mentality, and pure evil from the pit of hell. And we denounce this evil work. But I also want to pause to focus on good works. This woman, who's a sister in Christ, Pearly Young, check out the post that went up about her. Pearly Young, age 77, was killed yesterday in Buffalo shopping for groceries. She was a woman of God who for 25 years ran a pantry where every Saturday she fed people in Central Park. Every Saturday. She loved singing, dancing, and being with family. She was a mother, a grandma, and a missionary. Gone too soon. We honor our sister in Christ and others like her who have gone on now to receive a crown of glory that no one can take away. And in our minds and in our hearts, she is the definition of a VIP. So live like that kind of VIP, giving your life for the sake of others. That's the positive side of living a life as a VIP, excel in doing good works. But there's also a negative side, a cautionary tale from what was happening in Thyatira. And here's where we come to some of the challenging parts of our message today. These folks were excelling in so many good things, but there was a serious problem there. Verse 20, he says, but I have this against you. We need to talk. We need to have a serious conversation. He said, you tolerate the woman Jezebel, not her real name. It was a nickname for her, Jezebel, uh, the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrifice to idols. Now, Jezebel, the name comes from the Old Testament. Jezebel was the pagan queen of the Israelite king Ahab, who was a wicked ruler himself. But what she did was she led Israel astray into the worship of a false god, Baal, who was the god of fertility. And she led them not only to worship, not the one true God of Israel, but led them astray into Baal worship. She promoted all sorts of other false prophets, prophets, 
She herself was teaching and leading Israel astray, corrupted them, and also led them into all sorts of immoral practices, including sexual immorality. Uh, she was judged by God. Eventually she gets destroyed and she's, uh, her, her body is, is eaten by dogs. She comes to this miserable end. But she came, her name became kind of a standard name for people who led the people of God astray. And especially through false worship and through sexual immorality. And there was a woman in their community in Thyatira named Jezebel. And she fashioned herself a prophetess. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess. And it says, she taught and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrifices idols. What's going on here? Well, remember what I said about the trade guilds? You belong to those trade guilds and you are expected to kind of join in to the revelry, to the carousing, to the worship of the false gods and goddesses, and also it almost always degenerated into all sorts of sexual, immoral behavior. Jezebel has an answer for you if you're a Christian. And she was there talking to people in the church. And she said, it's fine. You can do this. You can participate. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Because I, we don't know all of her teaching, but because basically she made a distinction between what you did in your body and what you did in your soul. And your body, you can do anything in your body. It never touches your authentic self, your person, your soul. So live however you want to, do whatever you want in your body, put whatever you want in your body, be with anybody you want to be, do whatever you like. Drunkenness, carousing, anger, greed, violence, immorality, doesn't matter. That can't touch the real you, your soul. And so her answer was participate fully. And she may have even said that these aren't really even, the idols don't even exist in reality. She may have even denied the existence of these gods and goddesses. And she excused them because they don't really exist anyway, so you're just doing your civic duty. We don't know exactly what she was doing, but whatever she was saying, was she was teaching this and deceiving the people of God in this church. Now, most of the people uh, in the church, I think, had their baloney detector out. And they knew that she was wrong and they paid no attention to her. But there were some of them who were led astray. They were they, she taught them and they deceived them and she led them astray. And this was a serious thing for Jesus. He was upset about this. And he, they led them to commit immorality and to worship false idols. Um, and here's the principle I want to give to you today. Principle number three is to avoid the common pitfalls and cultural compromises. In our society and in our world, there's all sorts of dangers and compromises that we can make that we know that Jesus has taught clearly about and yet they become common pitfalls for believers. And sometimes there's some believers who will even listen to people who are saying, I know the church has believed that, I know the church has taught that, I know the Bible seems to say that, but actually, and then they give a perspective that is so contrary to scripture, so contrary to what uh, uh, the church has taught for 2000 years and running, major teachings of the church, and they deny them. And some people are led astray by this. And some people, we don't even need to be led astray that way. We just, there's common pitfalls in our culture, temptations that are common to all of us. In fact, um, 
At one point, the, uh, the theologians have summarized these under the seven deadly sins. And I want to just show this to you. Seven deadly sins are categorized under the one that comes up in this particular passage was lust. It was just unbridled, uh, given to fantasies or given to actual uh, sexual immorality. Uh, and then there was gluttony, that's overindulgence in, in, in things and, and, uh, and uh, food and luxuries and uh, uh, material possessions. There's greed, it's just a constant longing for more, 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 more acquisition, selfishness, lack of generosity. There's sloth, that's just laziness. That's just not doing what you know God's called you to do, not getting around to what God's called you to do. There's wrath or anger. We live in such an angry culture and it's so easy to fall into that common pitfall and that cultural compromise of just getting angry about everything. There's envy. That's being jealous of what somebody else has. And then there's pride. It's just thinking you're better than other people. Uh, putting yourself and thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. All of those are common pitfalls and we want to avoid them and not listen to the Jezebels who say it's okay to go along. Jesus says, be careful. Keep your eyes fixed on me. I'm, I, I see and I know what you could become. Keep your heart close to Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And if you're just following along with what Jezebels are saying, you're not a VIP. You're just a very ordinary person. God wants to, you to have this extraordinary life, to, to live a life of importance and, and making a difference. When you're just like everybody else, you're just like everybody else. There are a lot of areas in life that we struggle in and that we can stumble in. And James says in his letter, we all stumble in many ways. So this is not a, some kind of guilt thing or condemnation thing. It's just a call to be careful. If you're really going to live as a VIP in the kingdom of God and, and pursue him and be a servant of God and be a champion for Jesus, you have to avoid the common pitfalls and cultural compromises. In this particular passage, I want to speak briefly to this. We have here idolatry and sexual immorality. I want to talk to both of those. God's highest call is for us to love him above all and to have no other gods before him. And there are so many other things that could take the place of Jesus and become first place in our life, whether it's material possessions or success or popularity or some kind of uh, addiction or whatever it might be, pleasure, I don't know. Um, being right, whatever it might be. And that becomes all important to you. Greater than your love for Jesus, that's become an idol. And, uh, and you can't mix those two together. Jesus calls for your wholehearted devotion. But he also calls you to a life of, of sexual wholeness and sexual integrity. Uh, and the second greatest calling in life is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that's to treat our own bodies and to treat others the way that God would have us to do so. Um, I, I want to just summarize, if I could, um, just in, in a nutshell, God's, um, I want to summarize, if I could, um, briefly, God's design for human sexuality. Um, as a Christian church, Valley Church, we welcome all people from all backgrounds. And the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we strive to do that for every single person we meet. We really lament and reject the many times that individual Christians have treated people of all kinds with hatred or scorn or rejection. 
We are called to love all people, even those with whom we disagree, and even to the extent of loving those who persecute us and are our enemies. We love all people as Jesus taught us. At the same time, we are called to love God with all of our hearts, and this means following his clear teaching. Much of this teaching we express in our statement of faith. Currently, you know well that there are many opinions circulating on the topic of sexuality. We are blessed as a people of God because the scriptures have clear teaching on this matter and God has given us his beautiful design for human sexuality. God's wondrous design is for men and women to experience sexuality within the bonds of marriage, a covenant established by God. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament give clear testimony of this teaching and it has been affirmed by the historic church for 2000 years and by the global church around the world, in Asia, in Africa, in Eastern Europe, in, in South America and around the world. The Bible clearly teaches that the only sexual relationship affirmed in the Bible is between one man and one woman in a loving marriage. And so for our good, this excludes, it's an equal opportunity offender and it pulls on all of us in our weakness. It excludes premarital sex, extramarital, same-sex, bisexual relationships, polygamous, polyamorous sexual relationships. So it, it pulls, it, 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 there's a lot of things that are outside the boundaries of what God has created uh, for our wholeness and for our holiness. Further, God has created all human beings in his own image and likeness. And from the very beginning, he said that he created us, male and female, in these two distinct and fixed and unchanging genders. These truths are plainly stated in the scriptures, and they stand among the many other teachings of the Lord Jesus that stretch and, yes, challenge our cultural viewpoints. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, they are meant for maximum human flourishing and for the glory of God. We unashamedly affirm them while recognizing our home human weakness and fallenness in these areas, guys. We all struggle. Valley Church affirms these truths without reservation, and we strive with God's help to live in accord with them by the power of the Holy Spirit and to treat all people with dignity and respect, even when they disagree with us. There's a lot that could be said about this, guys. This instruction that I've just given to you is for people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. We do not anticipate that people who don't follow Jesus will follow Jesus in these areas. We know that they will often uh, reject these or uh, vigorously disagree. But as followers of Jesus, we don't judge them. Paul said in another place in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, who am I to judge those outside the church? We just need to focus on what we're called to do, but we are to call to live with purity and integrity in all of our lives. And I just, it's a very tender area, guys. Um, but I want you to know my heart is filled with compassion because this is a, uh, an area of great um, fallenness in our own hearts and lives and great struggle. And so I, I share it with you in just total respect and trying to be faithful to the word of God. Please be careful in this area. Please avoid common pitfalls 
and please avoid cultural compromise. It's so important. And he says in very serious tone, then all the churches will know that I am the one who examined minds and hearts and I will give each of you according to your works. To those church, the, the, the church there that was saying, I've, I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, your service, your endurance. I'm gonna more than bless you. In one place, Jesus said, I'm gonna bless you a hundredfold for anything you've ever sacrificed. You can count on it. And for those who reject him and especially to those who lead him astray, he says, justice will prevail, beware. He says in verse 24, I say to the rest of you in fire attire who do not hold to this teaching, the one that was leading everybody astray, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan. They were proud of this stuff. They were like, we've learned the secrets of Satan and God. Um, he says, if you haven't gone down that path, the rest of you, which I think was the majority of the church, I'm not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. He says, don't go down that path. And if you're not going down that path, good for you. Just hang on. He's not calling you to do a thousand extra more things. He's not laying all sorts of other burdens on you that are impossible. Instead, he says, keep going. Keep being faithful. Trust in me who is, who is more than you can imagine. And, and to just avoid these common pitfalls and cultural compromises. He says, here's my promise for you. The one who conquers and keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter, Jesus will, and he will shatter them like pot pottery. He says, one day you will reign with me in eternity. And he, 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 he says, you who overcome, who keeps my works. There are her works, that Jezebel. There are my works, the ones that are good and wholesome and true and glorious. You'll be a VIP a very important person because you will co-reign with Jesus Christ. Verse 28, just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. The morning star was a, a picture of uh, the Venus was the morning star that rose and it was a symbol in the ancient world of, of, of victory and sovereignty and of overcoming. Just when it was darkest, just before the dawn, it would rain and rule the night sky. He says, when you're walking with me in the darkness, you can have this confidence that in the end, you will reign with me. Here's the principle, number four, and last one. Stay faithful to Jesus to the end. Because ultimately, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. You may have stumbled, you may have struggled, we all have, but keep following Jesus. He is so filled with grace and mercy to all of us. Keep going in his grace. Keep trusting in him fully. He is more. And get up and keep running the race. So the believers at Thyatira, he wanted them to, to, to weigh it out. He said, you know, you got what your silly trade guilds offer to you. And then you've got the entire universe to reign with me. Weigh it out. In reality, it's kind of like Beanie Babies, right? Or reign with me in eternity over the whole world. Wouldn't you rather do that?
Father in heaven, your word says, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Today, as I bring this message, it's a heavy one. It's a weighty one. It's a serious one. But I pray that the ears that are hearing it are ears who will hear and listen to what the spirit is saying to all of us today. And for all of us, and maybe it's not one area or another, but we all have our areas that we just bring before you in your full light of grace and know that you love your children and you welcome us to embrace you fully and knowing as we trust you that you will carry us to the end to this incredible, amazing, to those ordinary people in Thyatira, you say, one day you will reign with me over all the nations of the earth. That is what I have in store for you. Just be faithful and see what I will do for you. You are a very important person to me. And all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen. God bless you all and have a great weekend.